Today, Pastor David begins a new series called First Comes Love, where we will look at what singleness, dating, and marriage looks like for those who follow Christ. Today, we will see that God has called both marriage and singleness good, and how we can find our purpose in either season. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Uh, We are beginning a new series today. It's called First Comes Love. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, being single, dating, and marriage from the from the, uh, for the follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, I just encourage you, hopefully today you'll see the reason we do these things and and handle these stages the way we do. And also hopefully you'll see that, that we're not coming from an outdated mindset when it comes to these things, that we're not following rigid rules that are meant to take away all of our fun. That is not the case whatsoever. But uh, I, I hope that this series is going to be encouraging to you and helpful uh, to you. Now, I will say, I did send out this. I will say, if you have little ones, um, because of the nature and the context of what we're talking about, that three-letter word that begins with S will probably come up in the series. In fact, it will come up in the series. Because you can't talk about these things without that coming up, right? So uh, if you're not looking to answer the question, what is that? Uh, maybe now is a great time to check out our children environments that are next door. Um, uh, we encourage you to just, uh, they'll be taken care of. They'll have a lot of fun and some foundational truths for their life. Uh, but Hey, if you're ready, let them stay. All right. That's, that's, that's on you, not me. All right, here we go. So, um, <laughs> if there's one thing that we can agree on, uh, a stat that we can all fully agree is a hundred percent of us in this room have either been single or are single right now in our life, right? Uh, every single one of us, we've either been single at some point or we are single right now. When it comes to being single, there's a lot of times you'll find two, two kind of mindsets that play, play uh, on two ends of the spectrum. One, you've got single people think this, that being single is purgatory. It's purgatory until you reach that blessed, special time of marriage. And once you get to marriage, then that is like you, you, you've gone out of purgatory to eternal bliss, right? That's, that's the thinking there of it. The problem that comes with that mindset is you're putting, you're idolizing marriage. And while marriage is a beautiful thing and a good thing, we're going to see that it shouldn't be idolized. Because if we put it on this pedestal and we idolize it, then what happens is we fall to the fact that we can't have these perfect unions like what we might have in our mind. Then you've got others that live on this other side of the spectrum that think being single is pure bliss. Why in the world would you put yourself in the oppression of marriage? I don't think that. That is not my mindset. I don't think that at all. There was one comedian that actually that, that had this joke that said, you know, being uh, being married is solving problems together that you didn't have as a single person. <laughs> but this this is kind of the thought. But the problem that comes with this mindset is how unhealthy it is and how we don't realize how unhealthy we're making it for ourselves. There's a uh, doctor of psychology at Eastern Connecticut State University made this statement about the unhealthy aspects of relationships when we, when we just have multiple relationships all throughout our life. And specifically she talks towards sexual relationships, but she says this, the impact of high risk behaviors on one's emotional health includes making dangerous choices that lead to more and more risk. This cycle can lead to problems with self-concept, ineffective relationships, and even depression. 
Despite the emphasis that society puts on sexuality, the best emotional, physical, and sexual health can be found in long-term relationship. Seems like I've read that somewhere before. If you find yourself jumping from relationship to relationship, you, can cons- you should consider the price you could be paying in both sexual health and longevity. You know, the thing about single people today is single people today are waiting a lot longer to get married than they used two years ago. I found this interesting. The national average of of how old someone was when they got married in the 1920s, for a woman, it was 21. For a man, it was 24. I I thought that was amazing. I thought it was a lot younger. I've heard of people years ago getting married in the teens. That was crazy to me, right? Right. Now, today, the national average is for a woman, 28, for a man, 30. That's the national average. So that's like six to seven years longer that people are waiting to get married. And some of you, you may have a child that's 28, 30 years old, still living at your home and thinking, yeah, they fall into that category. Right. So so people are waiting longer. I was 25 when I got married. 25. They say the brain is fully developed at the age of 25. So Jenny said, well, I think you're at the place now. Let's get married. All right. So I didn't, you know, my first real significant long-term relationship was I was a sophomore in college is when that started. I dated a girl for two years when I was in college. This was a relationship that I prayed, God, let this be the one I'm going to marry. But now I look back and I thank God for negatively answered prayers. All right. I mean, that's a throwback to last week if you weren't here. So But, uh, and when I came to Bethel in 2001, when I came back, I grew up in this church, but I graduated, went away. When I came back seven years later and came on staff as a youth pastor, I was single when I came on staff and there are pressures that come with being single, especially even in the church world and in the family of God, there's pressure about being single. And for me, I felt that pressure, but you know, I didn't feel that pressure from the youth When I was youth pastor, them looking at me saying, what's wrong with you? You can't get no girl. I didn't get that from them. I didn't get it from myself. I didn't put that pressure on myself. You know where the pressure of me being single came from? Right out here. Constantly being asked, when are you going to find someone? I know someone. I know someone. Can I I introduce you to so-and-so? It's the church constantly playing matchmaker. And I kid you not. I kid you not, I had a gentleman, he's a stepfather. He came to me one day after church. It was right over in this area, right over here. I remember it. He was talking to me. He asked me, have you ever thought about asking out my daughter, which is his stepdaughter? And I tried to get out of that conversation as politely and as casually as I could. And listen, it's going to floor you. He He responded to me and he said, you will when you see her in a bathing suit. This happened at church right there. I got out of that conversation very quickly. But listen, folks, there is a lot of anxiety that can come on a person who is single. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be extreme, but it can be an extreme anxiety that comes on a person who is single because they're thinking, why can't I get anyone? Why will no one ask me out? Why won't everyone respond when I ask them out? Is something wrong with me? Am I too picky? Am I too ugly? You know, is it, is all this kind of stuff that's going on? And if you're a Christian and you're in church and you're, you're find someone and maybe you're at church and you find someone you're crushing on a little bit, you're wondering, how do I act in church now? Do I go full Pentecostal in worship, you know, or does that look too much? 
Do I play it more cool? Do I act calm? When it comes to know, uh, the message, do I pull out my notes? Do I take notes? And or are they going to think I'm over spiritual? The answer is always take notes. When, when it comes to the end and they're asking, do I need prayer? Do I raise my hand? Do I go up front? Or does that look like I got issues? They're going to think I got issues. I can't ask for prayer. If someone besides me asking for prayer, do I put my hand on them and pray for them? And do, do, and, and do they see I'm, I'm a person that'll pray for you? Look at, you know, there's all kind of pressure. There's all kind of pressure with being single and church. We have to do everything we can to take that pressure away. Listen to me, church. We cannot see a single person as someone that has something wrong with them. A single person, listen, is not a problem to be fixed. And all the single people said, amen. Right? Wow. We got a lot more single people than I realized. You, they're not a problem to be. Listen, I don't think any, I don't think God has called anyone to be anybody's personal tender matchmaker. Okay. I don't think he's called you to that. If you, if you have a notebook where you're keeping notes of all your single friends, so you can figure out how you can match them up. Come let us pray for you today. All right. So, so let's be, and let's not ask people when you're going to get married. Why aren't you married yet? Let's take those questions and those statements off of, and let's get rid of all the pressure. Because as we're going to see this morning, we need to be aware that there is a calling and a gift that is on a single person's life right now. And so what we need to do is invite them to journey with us in our faith journey and in our life. And grow with them and encourage them and be a part of that journey together and what God is speaking to them at that stage in their life. So let's go. You can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to go there. We're going to see a couple of verses from the Apostle Paul who spoke to singleness in his life. And I just want to preface by saying that there's a lot of different stages of singleness that's represented. I get that. There are people who are young adults who are single. There are people who are older adults who are single. There are people who who are single that have never been married. There's people who've been married but are now single because they're divorced or because they're widowed. There's people, there's single parents. I mean, there's so many different stages of being single. And I understand that I can't empathize with every stage and every level of being single. So what my hope is, is it's just like every week that we come together is that we look to the word of God and get encouragement for where we are from God's word today. Amen. So let's look at first Corinthians chapter seven, and let's look at these couple of verses from the apostle Paul verse seven and verse eight. He says this, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who are not married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried. Did you get that, mom? My mom's a widow. She laughs at me. She knows I'm a mess. All right. So anyway, so I say to those who are not married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is saying that he's not married, he's single, and that's not a bad thing. It's, there's nothing negative about that. There's nothing wrong with me being single. Now, we need to understand this is a very bold statement for Paul to be making in his day. Even now, even today in the Jewish community, 
to be single is not necessarily looked at with the, the most positive of thoughts. I, I saw a recent article from a Jewish writer that's talking about this concept, and he made this statement. He said, we give, we gave the world ethical monotheism and we worship the one God. But yet one is only seen as half a number when it comes to humans. I wonder why. So this is the, the, what he's embracing and what he's asking questions about within their faith. But we know that this comes from the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And it all begins in the beginning when, when God gave Eve to Adam. And it, and it said it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve for Adam and, and he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. And so from that, and as we go through the Old Testament, we begin to see that blessing comes when you are in marriage and when you procreate. That is when you are blessed. If you are married and you are procreating, you are a blessed person. And there is truth to that. But then we see the prophet Isaiah begin to speak in his prophecies something that kind of took you away from that soul thought that that's the only way you are blessed. That if you are not doing this, then you are cursed, was the thought. But the prophet Isaiah begins to speak to some things towards the prophecy of Jesus. When he begins to prophesy about Jesus, Isaiah chapter 53, you can flip back to Isaiah 53 and follow with me here because we're going to look at a couple of verses from Isaiah. He's talking about the prophecy of, he's prophesying about the coming of Jesus. And then in verse eight of Isaiah 53, he says this about him. He says, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So what the prophet Isaiah is saying, he's talking about Jesus and he's saying where Jesus is single, Jesus never had descendants and where in the mindset of those under the old covenant, he is cursed. But that is exactly what Jesus did. He took our curse on him. Galatians chapter three, verse 13. Paul even said this. He he referenced back to that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed. He took the curse of our sin. But it seems to be that Isaiah is prophesying that he's also breaking this curse as well. And Paul is kind of pointing note to this, that he's breaking this curse that comes with them to the mentality that if you are single and or if you have not procreated in your life, you are cursed. And what what Isaiah is saying is that he's not talking about physical descendants. He's talking about spiritual descendants. He has many spiritual offspring. See, we can't forget that Jesus was single. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 tells us that, that we have a high priest who understands everything that we go through. He was tempted in every way, just like us. So Jesus was a man that lived a single life and showed us you can live a single fulfilled life with purpose. 
But Jesus wasn't the only one. Paul did it, as we see Paul say. Uh, Silas did it. Uh, Luke did it. Titus did it. Apollos did it. Lydia, a lady who was mentioned in Acts. Phoebe did it. Uh, Philip is said to have four unmarried daughters. We see all throughout the New Testament people who were single but lived a fulfilled life with purpose. If we keep going in Isaiah, Isaiah speaks in the next chapter to this idea that you are cursed if you cannot have offspring. Isaiah 54 verse 1 says, Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. So see what, what the prophet is saying is whether or not you're having children because you're not married or whether or not you're not having children because you're barren. You are not cursed. You are still blessed. And listen, I've got people in my family right now who are struggling with the idea of being barren and can't have children. And I understand the pain. I, oh, I don't understand it, but I see the pain and I sympathize with the pain that comes with the fact that you, because I know the longing and the desire to have children. And I'm married to a woman who, 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 as a woman, has that desire to be a mother, had that desire to be a mother. We were able to do that. So the pain of not being able to, it's real. I get that. The pain that comes with not having a child of your own, whether because you're single or whether you're barren and can't, it's real. I don't negate that in any way. But I just asked you, based on Scripture, to understand you are not cursed. You are still blessed. And don't let the pain of not being able at this moment to have children on your own keep you from realizing the blessing that God can give you through spiritual offspring or even adopted offspring. You can have that in your life. And then Isaiah goes on, Isaiah 56. Look at what he says here in this prophecy. Verse 3, he says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm dried up. I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I'll bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I'll give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. Isaiah is prophesying that those who are eunuchs, those who are not married, those who do not have children, those who cannot have children, you're still blessed. You will still be blessed. See, a eunuch was one who had the inability to reproduce. This was either because of natural causes or because, uh, because they chose to be that way or it was forced on them. Maybe you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. We see this, Luke is telling us about this eunuch who's sitting in a charity, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And it says that Philip all of a sudden appears and he hears him reading this and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I understand if nobody tells me and nobody explains it to me? So Luke tells us that Philip sat down with him and he began to explain. And where he says they were reading was what from Isaiah 53, right? We were in that chapter just a second ago. He's reading in that portion of the prophet Isaiah. And then Luke tells us, he says, beginning at that point, 
Philip begins to explain the gospel of Jesus to this eunuch. I can't help but think that Philip took him from that place and that prophecy in Isaiah, turned a few pages more or scrolled a little bit further on in the scroll and got to the point about eunuchs and told him, you are not cursed, you are blessed as a eunuch. And then Luke tells us that they get to this place where there's a body of water and the eunuch looks at Philip and says, so is there anything keeping me from being baptized right now? Because in this eunuch's mind, he could never be accepted into the family of God because of who he was. But Philip lets him know Jesus Christ changed all of that. There's nothing keeping you from being baptized and becoming a part of the family of God right now. And so with understanding that thought about Isaiah's prophecy about the eunuch and what Philip did with the eunuch. Let's jump over to Matthew chapter 19 and let's look at the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking about, he's answering the question from the Pharisees about marriage, specifically about divorce. He talks about how marriage is a good thing. And and then he says these words, verse 11 and verse 12. He says, verse 11, not everyone can, can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, Jesus isn't degrading marriage by any means, because like I said, just before that, he's talking about how marriage is good. But what he's pointing out is that being single is also good. Because again, a eunuch, and and Jesus defines what this word being used here, he defines all three aspects of the word in this statement. Yes, a eunuch is someone who's forced to be that way because they are a bed guard, typically in a royal home, and they take that away from them so there's no sexual temptation that comes with them. There's someone who's born that way who just, they cannot produce children. And then there's some who choose to not marry. In other words, be single. And they choose it for the kingdom of God and for his kingdom. He turns this whole picture of being single upside down. And basically what Jesus is saying too is he's saying, in fact, the way you're treating single people is worse than you getting divorced for any reason you want to be divorced for. And so... Jesus begins to show them that being single is good. It's not a bad thing. And he also shows us that just like in marriage, being single, you can portray the gospel of Jesus Christ. Marriage portrays the gospel of Jesus Christ because it portrays that the sacrificial love of Christ. There is a sacrifice for one another that comes in marriage. There's a, you're portraying the gospel by the beauty of putting one person over the other and seeing one over the other. But single, being single portrays the gospel as well because you're portraying the gospel by showing that your identity is only found in Christ. It's not found in another person. Maybe you've seen the line, you've seen it stated, you've heard it stated, maybe you've even said it before. You complete me. (laughs) No, I mean, that's nice. (laughs) That, there's a romantic gesture that comes there, but I don't, I don't complete Jenny. I might compliment her. Maybe, I don't know. You have to ask her, but, but I hope I do, <laughs> but I don't complete her. Her completeness is only found in Christ. We are only complete in him. 
And so when you are single, you, you represent the gospel by showing others. I don't get my identity from another person. There's beauty in that and there's joy that can come with that from the two becoming one. We're going to talk about that. But I want the single person to understand today that you are just as much a part of the body of Christ and just as much a part of representing Christ as a married couple is. There's a very hard teaching from Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. I believe it's around verse 30. He somewhere it's in Matthew 22. He's talking about the fact he gets asked this question. Well, this person was married and this person was, and had this many spouses. And now when they die, who, which one's going to be their actually spouse and their actual spouse in eternity. And Jesus tells them, you don't understand eternity at all because in eternity you won't be married. Now that's sad to think about. That's sad for me to think about that, that Jenny's not going to be my wife in eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. But, but the gospel, the word of God also tells us that in heaven, there, there is no sadness that, that heaven does not diminish our joy. It actually multiplies our joy. It, it magnifies our joy. It matures our joy. C.S. Lewis kind of explained it in a way saying, you think about it this way to a toddler. They think the, the only thing that brings them joy is candy. You know, they get excited about candy. Give me candy. Give me candy. Give me candy. They're excited. So imagine trying to explain to a toddler, maybe you've done this before, all the beauty and the joys of life, the joy of, of looking out at some of God's greatest creations and seeing his creations, the, the joy of, 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 of reading a good book, the joy of what we're talking about now, the joy of being married and, and having, and having a family and seeing your kids grow up and seeing them graduate and now seeing you as my grandchild and, and the joy of being able to experience all those things. And then your toddler, the toddler looks back up at you. Yeah, but can we do all those things while eating candy? What C.S. Lewis is explaining and what he's saying is there is that, you know, they lack the ability to understand the joy of eternity. That's what we lack. We lack the ability of the joy to understand it. Because right now we see the joy that comes with all of these other things. We see the joy that comes with sex. We see the joy that comes with being married. We see the joy that comes from the nuclear family. But we don't know in full. All we know is in glimpse. Eternity in heaven. But Jesus points out that marriage is only temporary in light of eternity. So what he's, what he's getting us to understand is that while marriage is a good gift, it is not the ultimate gift because we don't take it with us in the resurrection. Uh, a former professor at Bible Mobile. Moody Bible Institute and a speaker, Christopher Ewan, he made this statement. He said, heaven will be the best of both worlds. We'll have the single person's ability to focus 100% of all of our resources on God. And we, the church, will have all the goodness of the greatest marriage in the world as we, the bride of Christ, will finally be with our groom forever. Heaven is both the best of the gift of singleness and the best of the gift of marriage. So put your hope there. Remember Paul's verse, what he said in verse seven, that each one has been given a gift. They have their own gift. And sometimes maybe you've read that before and thought, well, which gift do I have? Do I have the gift of being single? (laughs) And you thought, I don't want that gift. I remember being a kid and growing up and my parents were reading 88 reasons why God's going to come back in 88. Then 89 reasons why God's going to come back in 89. And I'm sitting here praying the whole time, God, don't, don't come back. I want to be married. 
And God, you know why I want to be married. Let that sink in for a second. But I want to encourage you not to look at it necessarily as a gift you have permanently. Think about it from the sense of like we say, today is a gift. You have the gift of today. Whatever you, whatever stage you're in right now is a gift. It is a gift you've been given. So if you are single, you, you have the gift of being single. If you are married, you have a gift in your marriage. But we have to understand that maybe one day we go, we exchange the gift of being single for the gift of being married, but we're not exchanging an inferior gift for a far superior gift. We're just exchanging one good gift for another good gift. Wherever we find ourselves right now, married or single, at this moment, we have a gift in whatever stage we're in. And that gift is for God's glory. That's the purpose of the gift. That's the reason we have the gift. So the answer is not which one am I, which one do I have, but how do we respond with the one we have right now? See, God has a design for marriage and he has a design for a single person. And and married people, we can't look at it and say, well, if a married person, Paul says a married person can do more for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God and, and, uh, and it's better to be unmarried. Well, then that's my spiritual excuse for divorce. Nope, nope. You're reading that all wrong. God has a bigger design for marriage and God's design for marriage also is, is, is far greater for, than for us to just fulfill all of our sexual desires in a guilt-free environment. He has a design for marriage, but he has a design for being single as well. And that design for being single is not to prolong adolescence into 20s, 30s, 40s, or beyond. There's a purpose. If you look at that verse, Matthew chapter 12, when he says, anyone who should receive this should receive it. Anyone who can accept this should accept it. The very literal meaning of what he's saying there is if you can make space for this in your life, you should make space for it. So as we wrap up, as we close right now, we're about to close. I want to encourage you to make space. If you're single, I want to ask you, what can you make space for in your life for God? Married people, how can we encourage our single friends to make space for things for God? Make space for your devotion to God as a single person. This time in your life is an opportunity to build a very deep foundation in your relationship with God. You can develop an attentiveness to Jesus and to his Holy Spirit right now in this time in your life. Make being single an opportunity to become more and more attentive to him. Because first, because it is true, first comes love. And then comes marriage, maybe. But if not, it's okay. Because the first love that should always be in our life, the the first love that should come should be the first love we have in God. He should always be our first love. And here's the thing. If you are single, as you make more more space for devotion to God, it's going to become even easier as a married person to make space for your devotion to God. Because it's going to be something you long. It's going to be something that you desire. It's going to be something you want to have in your life. I find it very interesting that 
that Genesis tells us that God put Adam to a deep sleep when he created Eve. And I used to tell my youth, I used to tell the teenagers, you know, it's not, I would tell them, you know, just rest in God's presence. Don't put so much stress on about who am I dating? Am I anybody if I don't date? Don't think so much about dating in, in, in your life right now. Think about being in God's presence. Because when you rest in the presence of God, he gives you everything you need. Jesus even told his listeners, he said, come to me and you will find rest. Peter in his second letter said that everything we need for godly life is found in the power of God. Rest in him and you have everything that you need. The other aspect of it is that you make space for devotion of God. You're going to make space to discover who he's created you to be and discover what he's called you to. Being single provides an individual with space and room to do things for the kingdom of God that others can't do. You have freedom in your life to do things that a married person can't do. I'm not saying you don't have a life. I'm not saying you don't have obligations as a single person, but what I'm saying is your schedule revolves around you and what you plan. My schedule revolves around my calendar. It revolves around my wife's calendar and it revolves around my three kids calendar. Being single gives you the gift to do more. So as a single person, begin to invest in your spiritual family and say, God, what can I do? How can I get involved in your kingdom? How can I get involved for you? What can I do for your glory? What are you calling me to start for you? When, when these two young ladies called me several months, a couple months ago and said, we want to start a small group for two, for, for single young ladies. I was thrilled. Why? Because we get another small group? No, because God's speaking into these young ladies' lives who are not married and saying we need to do something with our life and with our time at the stage that we're in right now for God's glory. John Stott, who was a, who was a, a, a theologian, he was a single man all of his life, he made this statement. He said, apart from sexual temptation, which is real, The greatest danger, which I think we face as singles, is self-centeredness. We may live alone and have total freedom to plan our own schedule with nobody else to modify it or even give us advice. If we're not careful, we may find the whole world revolving around ourselves. Make space for your devotion to God and make space to discover who he's calling you to be bottom line is this, whether God has called you to be single or God has called you to be married and he's given you the gift of marriage or you're right now in your life, you're, you're, you've got the gift of being single. The bottom line is the same for all of us. We need to seek God first in it all. First love him because when, when whatever stage we're in, we need him. Married people, we need God in our marriage. Single people, you need God in your life. God needs to be first, whatever the stage we're in. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, in this moment, 
we give your Holy Spirit a moment just to just to enlighten the words of your scripture to our heart today. Help us to understand and see in greater dimensions the revelation of what Paul and what Jesus was speaking to our hearts. Father, help us to understand what the prophet Isaiah was speaking to us. Father, I pray today for every for, for, for every married person that's in this room or watching online. God, I pray today if our heart and the way that we look at those, our single friends, has always been to, to think, what can we do to help them find someone? God, convict us of that today. If we've ever put pressure on our single friends by making them think they're inferior by not having a spouse in their life, God, convict us of that today. Help us to see how we can journey with a single person in our life and in our faith. How can we encourage? How can we grow with them? And Father, I pray for the single person today in this room. God, I pray that you would just begin to speak more and more into their heart and their life. Help them to see the opportunity they have for you in the gift that you have given them right now. And whether or not marriage comes in their life, help them to always know that, Father, their fulfillment is in you and what you have called them to. Father, help them to see today what they can do for you and for your glory. Help us all to make space for our devotion and our relationship with you. And help us all to understand and see today that we need you. With whatever stage we're in in our life and relationship, God, help us to understand today we need you. Father, we thank you for it today. We give you praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.